2 Corinthians chapter 4 as we're going through the scriptures. Let's pray together. Father, you know us. You know where the condition of our hearts are this evening. And this is an amazing section of scripture. There's so much encouragement that's here. And we are asking that you would move in our lives, that you would move through the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe these are the first time that someone has heard these truths and may it impact their hearts and lives. Maybe someone has heard it a hundred times. May it be fresh tonight. But may we not lose heart. So we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. In this section, Paul writes two times, we do not lose heart. There's so many things in our lives that can cause us to lose heart. And if you remember, God's all about the heart. He's concerned about us loving him with our heart, loving others from our heart. So it makes sense that the enemy is always going to attack our hearts. It's easy for believers to get to the place where we're no longer having our hearts engaged with God engaged with others, we're going through the motions, or even more so, that we've been discouraged, we've been defeated, and we have lost heart. In our world today, there's plenty of material to lose heart over. I like to read the news, I don't know why I like to read the news, because after reading the news, I do Google News, you can get a bunch of news really quickly. I think it's news for men, because you just get like the five key sentences, and that's enough for, for me most most times. Going through the news today, just spending a few minutes, I was so discouraged. I don't think that good news sells by any means. So it's all the things like, you know, young girl kidnapped and raped by a man that she met on Facebook. And you're like, oh, that's a lot of encouragement that I, that I didn't need today. And you're like, man, the condition of our society and, and the world that we're in. So there's plenty of discouragement that is there. And then you look at your own life personally, and there's a lot of material for discouragement. I'm, I know I don't have to inform you about that. You don't need to inform me uh, about that. If we put our focus on the wrong things, we're going to lose heart very, very quickly. It may be finances. It may be a physical struggle, a relational struggle. Maybe you've failed this week and sinned in a way that you didn't, didn't intend, and all of a sudden you find yourself losing heart. And if you remember, Paul's life is filled with suffering. And what he is concerned with with the church of Corinth is they've started to question his leadership, and it breaks his heart. And it would be easy for Paul with the physical sufferings, the spiritual sufferings, looking at people looking at him sideways for him to lose heart, but he makes this decision that he's not going to lose heart, and he gives us the reason why. He gives us the truths that he personally has laid hold of so that he would not lose heart. I think it's a very practical, it's a very important study. I'm praying that God really roots us in these truths this evening. So verse 1, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we've received mercy, we do not lose hearts. So there's three things that I want to highlight that Paul gives us in this section. If you are studying the New Testament, it's written in Greek originally, and there's Greek paragraphs, just like there are in English. And in this particular chapter, there's three paragraphs. The first is from verse 1 through verse 6, and so this is going to be our first highlight point. It's that the ministry we have received, we don't lose heart because of the ministry that we have received. And normally in these paragraphs, as you're studying the scriptures, there's going to be one primary point. And so Paul begins here and he says, therefore, 
and you guys know you're, you're the Wednesday night team, is whenever there is this word, therefore, we ask, what's it there for? Therefore, since we've received this ministry, it takes us back to chapter 3, verse 18. Let's look at, look at it. For we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Then Paul goes on to say, therefore, since we have received this ministry. Paul's defined ministry. Ministry is this, beholding the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Under the new covenant of God's grace where the Spirit of God is living in our lives, a better covenant, a better spirit, not if then, not a works-based legalism with the Lord, but the opportunity to behold the goodness of God, to experience the, the grace of God. And as we're looking at the glory of God and who Jesus Christ is, we become transformed. God's doing that work and we're simply reflecting who God is. We're like the moon, the moon has no light of its own. It simply reflects the light of the sun. And the same for us as Christians. We have no light of our own, but we reflect the light of Jesus Christ. We oftentimes think of ministry by being on staff at a church, or if you raise funds and you go overseas internationally, or if you work at a nonprofit. Now, those things are ministry, but they're not the only ministry by any stretch of the imagination. And, and ministry in and of itself isn't a position but it's a lifestyle of beholding God's glory and then reflecting that glory. And Paul says, because I've been given this ministry of seeing God for who he is and reflecting that, I don't lose heart. And you have that ministry as well. You're impacting hearts and lives simply by being in love with Jesus Christ. That's the greatest impact. When we lose being in love with Christ, when we lose the awe of the gospel, the awe of who God is, the awe of the grace, the awe of the mercy, all of a sudden we get dim, don't we? All of a sudden we're not reflecting the love of God. So that's the ministry that the Lord has given to us. Simple, isn't it? Powerful though, isn't it? It's the ripple effect. One of the things that we loved to do growing up as we were out in the woods is we would always you know, take rocks and throw them into the river. And in Southern Oregon, there's lots of water whether it's a lake or a river or the ocean, it was always throw some object, rock, big or small, into it. And then we graduated into learning how to skip rocks. And there's always the ripple effect when you throw rocks into the water. And it's the same way with Jesus. You throw Jesus into your life and there's gonna be ripple effect. There's gonna be impact. And it's the same for us tonight as believers, even if we've walked with the Lord for a while. You throw the freshness of Jesus Christ in our lives you look at what he's done for us upon the cross, that he gave his son for us, that he endured the ridicule and the shame of the cross, being publicly humiliated in his arrest and in his trial. As Christ is thrown into our lives, there's this impact. So we've received this ministry, the ministry of reflecting God's glory, and we've received mercy. This is a great reason to not lose heart that God hasn't given us what we deserve. Church, if God gave us what we deserve today, we would be done, amen? It'd just be over. And God hasn't given us what we deserve. Jeremiah the prophet was struggling. You could say he had lost heart. Lamentations 3, he gets his perspective right. He gets oriented back on the mercies of God and he says, if wasn't for God's mercies, we'd be consumed. 
and God's mercies are new every morning. That's phenomenal of the Lord. He's like, Eric, you get to start over today afresh. I remember your sins no more. I'm not going to treat you according to what you deserve. And Paul says, God's given us mercy. He's given us mercy in not treating us according to our sins, but he's also given us mercy that he would use us for his glory. True? We're dirt clods at best, right? We're sinners saved by grace. And that God would forgive us, make us his sons and daughters, and then reflect his glory through us. I don't know about you, but to me, it doesn't seem like the best plan for God. That he would take us to reflect his glory. I've often thought, why wouldn't he just take the angels and have the angels fly around and give the message of God? He's completely capable of speaking on his own. He could just speak with an audible voice and get a lot better results. But instead, he wants to use us. He wants to use his church. It's his mercy. So we don't lose heart because of the ministry we've received. It involves the mercy of God. Part of this ministry in verse 2, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully. So Paul's saying, this isn't part of my life. I'm not going around hiding things. I'm not someone who's crafty or cunning. I'm not handling the word of God deceitfully for the purpose of corruption, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And sometimes we do lose heart in our lives because of compromise. Could we all admit that? When as believers, we're walking in sin and rebellion to the Lord, it weighs down our hearts. But when we're walking in integrity, when we're saying, I'm not worried about getting busted, isn't that a great feeling? Isn't there a great freedom in that? Doesn't that encourage your heart? I'm not perfect, but I'm not hiding anything. I'm open about my shortcomings. I'm open about where I've, I've fallen short. I try to make things right when, when I go wrong. And I don't have this deep, dark secret. I don't have this skeleton in this closet. I don't have something that I'm hiding from my spouse or my kids or, or, or the church of God. That's a miserable place to live. That's a miserable place to be constantly hiding, constantly trying to get to that place where I don't want to be found out. And if you're in that place this evening of hiding things, and even using the word of God deceitfully to cover your tracks, get right with the Lord. God will forgive you. He'll, he'll restore you. And being transparent and repentant is far better than getting busted. And God loves you enough to bust you. It's going to come out. Whatever's done in the secret, it's going to be shouted out from type of Pike's Peak, you know? Shouted out from the internet for the World Wide Web. There's no secrets so you might as well get right with God, get right with the people that you need to, because walking in this place of integrity causes great joy in our lives. It keeps us from, from losing heart. Paul could say, you know, there's all these things that I could be discouraged about, but I'm not discouraged about the fact that I have integrity. Verse three, but even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Paul, in context, is talking about his preaching, his sharing, his life of integrity. He says, I haven't used God's word deceitfully. Paul didn't put a veil on the gospel. Satan's the one who puts the veil on the gospel. To those that are, are perishing, 
They haven't yet received Christ. They're not saved. They have this veil. It, a veil's keeping them from understanding. And the God of this age, which is Satan, he's the one that has placed that veil. So as you're loving on the lost, maybe a few names come to your mind this evening, is pray that the veil that the enemy has put over their eyes, the veil that Satan has put over their eyes would be removed so that they could see Jesus Christ for who he is. Satan's the father of lies. He loves to lie to people. He loves to deceive people, and that's the veil that's put over their eyes. We look at verse 5 at what Paul's preaching. It's all in context of the ministry that we've received. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. Paul says, I, I don't lose heart because I haven't going around preaching myself. That is a great reason for discouragement if we're going around preaching ourselves. So we would not want people to be like us. We would want people to be like Jesus Christ. So as we share, it shouldn't be about us. It should be about Christ. If we're sharing a personal story, it should be something that points and glorifies Jesus Christ. And Paul was very careful, and we see that in his writings, to make sure that he elevated Christ, to make sure that he preached Christ and not himself. And he preached Christ Jesus our Lord. When we fail to preach Christ and we preach ourselves, I think about it of the taste of tuna in Tupperware. If you mix up a tuna fish sandwich with some pickles, and you grill it like you would a grilled cheese, that is a great sandwich. But if you take the Tupperware with the leftover tuna and you put it in the refrigerator, then stick it into the washer, after cleansing it, you will probably still have the taste of tuna in that Tupperware. Tuna is powerful, not to mention what your breath may smell like, right? And when we put ourselves into the gospel, when we're concerned about our reputation and people recognizing us, we're contaminating the message of Christ. We don't want to do that. We don't want the tuna taste in the gospel. Are you following me? We want to purely point people to Jesus Christ. John the Baptist, he prayed this, declared this, that he may increase that I might decrease. John the Baptist from a human level had a tough job. He was going to decrease so that Christ could increase. But from the spiritual level, that's the best place to be. That's the prayer of our hearts. I want to decrease. I want you to increase. I want people to see Jesus. Now the end of verse 5, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Most of the time Paul says what? That he's a bondservant of Jesus Christ. So first, what's a bondservant? A bondservant is a slave by choice. It comes from the Old Testament, from the book of Deuteronomy. If a Hebrew had to be a slave to another Hebrew, they could only have that slave for six years. And then the seventh year, you were to set the slave free. However, if the slave was like, man, you're a great master. I want to stay with you forever. He could choose to, and then he'd become a bondservant and would have his ear pierced as a symbol of the commitment to his master. So Paul would use that and say, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ by choice. But notice what he says in verse 5. He says, ourselves, your bondservants. He's making himself a slave by choice to the church of Corinth for Christ's sake. Now that's a whole nother level of service. It's one thing to be a slave to God. He's a perfect master. What now Paul is saying is he's serving the church 
of Corinth for Christ's glory. And we know from these letters that the church of Corinth wasn't always easy to serve. Maybe God's calling you to serve a particular believer, a particular group of believers in this way. You're doing it out of your love for Jesus. You're doing it for his sake, but choosing to serve them. It's really powerful. Verse 6, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Paul takes us back to creation. Genesis chapter 1, the darkness that was there, and God speaks, and there was light. And you notice closely in the creation account is God said, and there was. God spoke, and it was done. Let there be light, boom, there was light. The creation narrative is not one of struggle by God. Oh, how am I going to do this light thing? I've got to work on this. There's a lot of math to be done here. Oh, this is going to be difficult. He just, no, he's God. Nothing's difficult for him. He's a creator. He speaks, and there was light into the darkness. Maybe in your imagination, try to picture that. Complete darkness, and then there was light. God separated the darkness from light. He created day, and he created night. This also then speaks of our hearts, that our hearts were dark. And then God spoke. He, he spoke, and he decided to turn on the light in our dark hearts with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Paul experienced this in a powerful way in Acts 9. His name was Saul at this point. He was persecuting Christians. God knocked him literally off his high horse, and his life was changed. Called him by name. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? The light of God's love was shined bright into his heart that day. As we look at verse 6, notice what it says. What's the light? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The knowledge of the glory of God is found in the face of Jesus Christ. We touched on this at the end of last week. The apex of the glory of God, where God's glory shines the brightest, is in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It is in the face of Jesus Christ. We see God's glory in creation. We see God's glory in the law. It points to Jesus Christ. We see God's glory in the Psalms. But the greatest source of seeing God's glory is in the person of Jesus Christ in his face. So think about the face of Christ. What are some things that we see in the description about Christ's face? We know one that children felt comfortable coming to him. That tells us something about his face. If he had Mr. Grumpy face, Mr. Pouty face, super frown face. Kids are like, man, I don't want to come to this guy. They love to, to come to Christ. We think about Peter when he denied Christ three times and the rooster crowed. It says that Jesus looked at, at Peter. What kind of look do you think that Jesus had? One of condemnation or one of compassion? I think it was one of compassion, and he went and died for, for Peter's sins. We, we can only imagine what the face of Jesus Christ is, but we do have some visuals that God gives to us that he wept over Jerusalem. He said, as a mother hen longs to bring in her chicks, so I've wanted to bring you close to my heart, but you would not. Now, that tells us about who God is. When Lazarus died, he wept from his face. As he was crucified, they put crowns of thorns upon, upon his head. His beard was ripped out. 
I can't wait to see the face of Jesus Christ. Can you? It's in Jesus that we see the glory of God. As we see the glory of God, then we're transformed. And as we're transformed, then that becomes our ministry. The ministry that we've received causes us to not lose heart. Now, this next section of scripture is so powerful. It's so sweet. This is a place that you want to go when you're in difficulty, when you're in confusion, when you don't know what to do, when your heart is broken. These are wonderful truths for us. So verse 7 through verse 15, we don't lose heart because of the treasure we possess. The treasure we possess. And we see how this treasure impacts our lives. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. There's several times, there's five times in this chapter where Paul will use the words we have. We have. We have this ministry we have mercy, we have this treasure. When my heart is discouraged, when I've lost heart, it's because I'm focusing on what I don't have instead of what I do have. And Paul may have been facing discouragement and making his own little list and saying, this is what I have. I've been given a ministry to behold God's glory. I've been given mercy. I've been given this incredible treasure. And this treasure that we've been given, notice it says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. It takes us back to verse six. What's the treasure? It's the knowledge of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. It's when God turned on the light in our dark hearts. It's the gospel. It's that Christ loves us. It's Christ living inside of us. The knowledge of him and him personally, that's the treasure. And we have the treasure, we possess it, in earthen vessels. Other translations translate this as clay pots or jars of clay. So God's taken his son, the knowledge of his son, the glory of his son, and he's put it in a bunch of clay pots. That's you and me. Why? So that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So people are attracted to the treasure, not the clay pot. They're going, wow, this is amazing. Jesus lives in that clay pot and that clay pot and they're cracked and they're flawed and God just shines through and he loves them. Oh, I gotta get to know this Jesus. The excellency of the power is of the treasure. It's of God and it's not of us. It's like a jewelry box. One of those black boxes that the engagement rings come into. They're plain boxes. They're black for the purpose of what? Pointing off the engagement ring pointing off the the wedding ring. If you're really into art, you look at the picture frame. What if the picture frame is awesome and it takes your breath away? You're not going to look at the painting. You're not going to look at the portrait. The purpose of the frame is to point to the treasure, if you would, and that's our purpose. I was thinking of it this way. If If you're into cars, if the exterior of a car is really nice, you're going to tend to focus on that. But if the exterior is just kind of so-so, but it has an awesome engine. The engine is the treasure. You're gonna listen to that engine and you're gonna go, oh, oh, oh. Some, that's, that's a nice car. I gotta, I gotta get underneath the hood. You're, you're not attracted to the exterior, but, but a car could be very nice on the outside. It could have a wonderful exterior, but it could be junk on, on the inside. And, and so God very purposefully has put the treasure in earthen vessels. Even Paul's life is a testimony 
of a broken pot that God restored. This man that hated Christians and God saved him by his grace so that the treasure could shine forth. Notice the power may be of God and not of us. It shows us God's power over our weakness. Seven through 15 is a story of contrast. Power over weakness. So here we have weakness, but God has power through the treasure to allow his love to be used through our weakness. So we're trying to apply this to discouragement. We're trying to apply this to despair. This fight for our hearts to not lose our hearts. We go, God, I'm weak. I can't do this. I don't know how I'm going to press through this. I keep trying to talk myself into this challenge and having courage, but I just, I just can't get there. That's not the answer. The answer is tapping into God's power. Zechariah 4, 6 says, it's not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. When we get to the place where we can't do it, Lord, I'm overwhelmed. I don't have the answers. I'm looking to your power through the power of your, your spirit. It's that treasure applied in our lives. In verse 8, we're hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. Is that how you would describe your life this evening? I'm hard-pressed on every side. I wake up, I'm hard-pressed. I go to sleep, I'm hard-pressed. I'm hard-pressed at lunch. Hard-pressed at 2, hard-pressed at 10. There's just no place for any refreshment. Can't even catch my breath. Don't know how I'm going to get through. And this is exactly where Paul's at. I'm, I'm hard-pressed on every side, but... I'm not crushed. I'm not crushed. And this is encouragement over discouragement. This is because of the treasure. The only way that he could be hard-pressed on every side but not crushed is because of Christ inside of him. I think this is our experience. We look back in our lives, we go, man, I was sure pressed. I didn't think I was going to get through that season, but God gets us through that season. We're not crushed. We're still here. We're still alive. We're still taking in oxygen. I heard you. You were praising the Lord. You were worshiping tonight. You lifted your hands to God and you say, I stand. Here I am, Lord. I'm, I'm surrendered to you. Why is that? Because the Spirit of God lives inside of you. You're not crushed. Yes, you're hard-pressed. Yes, I'm hard-pressed, but we're not crushed. It's encouragement over discouragement. Power over weakness, encouragement over dis discouragement. Please hear this. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Ever been confused or perplexed? God's ways are not our ways. It's a mystery. God, why are you doing this? I don't understand this. If I were to sum up this year, I, I would have to say, God's been trying to teach me to not lean on my own understanding. That's a lot easier verse to memorize than it is to live. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. It's really difficult to get to a place of saying, I don't have to figure this out. I don't have to understand this. God wants me to trust, not understand. And in the process of that, I've been perplexed. I've been confused. I'm sure you're perplexed and you're confused. You look back on your life and you go, how come this didn't work out? And this did work out. I have no idea. I have no idea why it went down that way. But God, I trust you. And isn't it comforting to know the great apostle Paul was perplexed? It shows humility. It shows honesty. It shows humanity. 
How many people would like to try to pretend, well, I've never been perplexed. It's like, really? Well, the apostle Paul was perplexed, but not in despair. And I think this is where he's tapping into the treasure. He's tapping into his relationship with the Lord. He could have allowed the confusion to swallow him, but instead he made a choice. And he said, I'm not going to allow the despair to consume me. And it's hope over despair. It's hope over despair. Despair is the absence of hope. It's the absence of purpose. It's the absence of the ambition to keep moving forward. But hope is that confident expectation of coming good. God is good. He does good. I'm holding on to him. It's hope over despair. Verse 9, persecuted but not forsaken. As the child of God, you can stand confidently that you will never be forsaken by God. Jesus will never leave you. Jesus will never forsake you. You also have another promise to hold on to, and it's that you will suffer persecution. It's not in most Bible promise books. If you pick up a Bible promise book, there's these little books that are printed with all of God's promises, and they're all the feel-good promises. And I've never found in one of those books, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's a promise we don't want to claim. Like, we, we don't want, don't sign me up for that one, right? Yes, there will be persecution if you walk with Christ and follow Christ, but you will never be forsaken. I read this this morning in my devotions, and it really stood out to me. It's probably familiar to you. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. It's a lot of authority. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Christ has all authority. He's just risen from the dead. He's defeated Satan. He's defeated sin. He's defeated death. And he says, all authority has been given to me. Now go. Go in my name. Make disciples. Teach them to observe everything that I've commanded them. And in this, I'm with you till the end of the age. You might be persecuted, but you will not be forsaken. Hebrews 13, verse 5 says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with the things that you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? This is relationship over abandonment. Some of us have an extreme fear of abandonment. I'm afraid of being abandoned. God's never going to abandon you. And that relationship with him, that treasure, it overcomes the fear of abandonment. For some of you, that's the word that God wants you to hold on to tonight. You're feeling rejected. You're feeling abandoned. You're persecuted. And you need to know that Christ is standing with you. He'll always stand with you. Verse 9, struck down but not destroyed. Why don't you just say that right now? Struck down but not destroyed. Go ahead. That sounds pretty good. You guys did a good job. This is victory over defeat. Yeah, I'm struck down. Yeah, I got my, na- my legs knocked out from underneath me. The floor of my life just completely fell out. I was struck down, but I wasn't destroyed. How could that be? Because of the treasure. Victory over defeat. Verse 10, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. This is intense. Paul's saying, 
I'm always carrying around the body of the dying Lord Jesus Christ. I realize the Christian life involves sacrifice, it involves suffering, it involves death. Why? So that the life of Christ may be manifest in our body. This is life over death. In order for our lives to resound the message of Christ, we have to suffer. You think about what causes our hearts to fall in love with God. It's the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. If we just had the words of Christ, we'd go, oh, what a great teacher. These parables are phenomenal. Ah, I really appreciate his teaching. But it's his actions, it's his suffering, it's his death upon the cross. It's him taking the punishment for us that causes us to go, oh, you love me. I want to hear what you have to say. You're more than a good teacher. You're God. You're my Savior. And in order for Christ to be declared to a lost and dying world, it takes suffering in our lives. That's what we signed up for. That's what we committed to. We're saved by God's grace. And then that grace empowers us to say, okay, I'm going to have to go through death in order for Christ to be manifest. This idea is continued. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal bodies. Did you hear that? God, in his love for the world, is going to deliver you unto death. Oh, how does that sound encouraging? I didn't sign up for that. I just signed up for forgiveness of sins. I don't know what you're talking about. How can that be encouraging? Because what happens through that death, what happens through those difficult circumstances, is then through our physical bodies— the life of Christ is manifested. How many times can we say, through my physical body, the life of Christ is being manifest? Not too often. Most of the times, it's in intense suffering. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Paul's saying this is worth it. I'm willing to go through death in order so that you can experience the life of Christ. Here's my personal experience. The death is extremely more difficult when I'm fighting it. When my flesh, the love for myself says, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to do this. And the eye, I get the eye disease, right? Because I'm focused in upon myself. I'm fighting death. But when I'm surrendered to it, when I accept it, when I take up my cross willingly to follow Jesus Christ, then it's much easier. The battle's in the fight. And when I wake up, I'm surrendered to God's will. I make that choice early in the day. I've had that time with him. It's much more easy than when I'm fighting for my rights, when I'm trying to to hold on. And Jesus told us, if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. It's life over death. The life comes through the death. In verse 13, and since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore we speak. This is a quote from Psalms 116.10. You guys doing okay? It's Wednesday night, 7.30. It's gloomy outside. Any, anybody struggling with sleepy time tea? <laughs> oh, just do one of these, hit your neighbor a little bit. All right, I'm doing okay too. Getting a little sleepy, but I'm doing all right. Spirit of faith. Psalms 116, faith produces a testimony. This is faith over fear. And Paul says, because I believed, therefore I spoke. If we believe something, we're going to speak it. 
I was dropping Wyatt off in Cubbies tonight, and there happened to be a New England's Patriots fan there, one of the teachers. And they believed, therefore they spoke, and they said some date in November that the Patriots were going to beat the Broncos. And I said, you know, you're probably right. I think that's probably going to happen if you're looking at the things. But we still believe in a God of miracles. You never know. But they believed, therefore they spoke, right? They, they had a belief that the Patriots are going to beat the Broncos, and, and so they spoke it. And that's true in our lives. I got an amen down here. And if you believe something, you'll speak it. So this is a test of, of our faith a lot of times, is if we're trusting in the Lord and who he is and his promises, we're going to declare it. And Paul here is believing about who God is, and that faith is coming forth in, in his testimony. Faith produces a testimony. Don't get this all weird and combobulated. Some have taken verses like this, and they've formed a, a doctrine called name it and claim it. I like to call it blab it and grab it. You know, they, they start going, well, I, I want a million dollars, so I'm claiming a million dollars in the name of Jesus. That's not what this verse is talking about. This isn't faith to get whatever I want. This is, this is faith in who God is. This is a faith in, in what his word has, has said and, and stated, and that's what we're believing and declaring. Verse 14, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Christ and will present us with you. Death, trial, difficulty, disease, it causes us to really long for the day that we're going to be raised with Christ. We look forward to our resurrection, the resurrection of believers. We long for the day when Christ is going to rule and reign. But when everything's going great in our lives, it's easy to forget about that. And Paul says, I know this. This is my testimony. This is what I'm holding on to, that as Jesus was raised, I'm going to be raised and presented with you. Verse 15, for all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Paul's saying, you don't trust me anymore? You think that for some reason I've gone sideways? Let me remind you, I've gone through all of this suffering for you so that you can rejoice and that you can abound in the glory of God. So we get to our third paragraph, verse 16 through 18, and it's the perspective we share. So we don't lose heart because of the ministry that we've received, because of the treasure that we possess, but also the perspective that we share, the way that we see things. Therefore, we do not lose heart. So Paul gives us an introduction. He gives us a conclusion. This is the message. We do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Can I get an amen? amen. The outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. We don't need to be convinced by that, that the outward man is perishing. Now, if we were talking to the junior hires tonight, we might have to convince them that they're outward man is, is perishing. But we see it. It's happening. It's, it's perishing. But the inward man is being renewed day by day. This is inward over outward. We don't lose heart because every day God is renewing our inward man. I love meeting those people that have walked with the Lord for years, and maybe they're 80 years old, they're 90 years old, and their tent is starting to wear out, but man, their inner man has never been more beautiful, never been stronger. They've got the heart of Caleb, who Caleb, as an older man, was saying, let's, let's go take the, the promised land. And what's happened? You don't naturally become more joyful with age. That's a misnomer. That was on Mythbusters, and they busted it out of the water, right? Is, 
I don't naturally get more cheerful apart from Christ. I can tell you that right now, right? But spend some time in a nursing home and you just don't naturally get more pleasant to, to, to be around. So if someone is in their elderly years and they're a joy to be around, it's because they've been daily renewed by the Lord. Their inward man has been renewed as their outward body has been perishing every day. Now, is this just something that happens without any active participation on our part? We've got to plug in to the Lord. Isaiah 40 tells us that those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. God will cause us to mount up like eagles. So we've got to take that time to draw near to the Lord, to be silent before the Lord, to spend time in his word, to worship him in spirit and in truth. Most of you probably have some type of phone in your pocket. And what do you have to do with that phone most of the time every evening, maybe every other day if you don't use it a whole lot? You've got to charge it up. You've got to renew that puppy. And every once in a while, it needs a software update. And what happens if you neglect to charge it up? You, you neglect the, the software update. Well, pretty quickly, the battery's going to run down. It's the same way with us. We've got to plug into the Lord. We've got to connect to the Lord. We've got to spend time with the Lord. And as we spend time with the Lord, our inward man is renewed day by day. But notice, God only renews it day by day. Because what if we could plug into God and we were good for the month? What would we do? Well, see you next month. Thanks for the recharge, right? But God has created us to be so weak that we need him every day. We need him every moment. It's daily bread. Here I am, Lord. I'm desperate for you. I'm waiting upon you. I'm drawing near to you. Tonight, you're doing that. God, hopefully, is renewing your inward man. Our last verse tonight, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal way of glory. Did Paul just write light affliction? Do you remember when we went through 1 Corinthians where he listed a bunch of his sufferings? I don't know how many more things you could add to that list. Shipwrecked, beaten, starving, no clothes, stoned to death, almost stoned to death. I mean, man, I thought that my car breaking down was affliction, you know? I thought getting the stomach flu was a f affliction. I mean, I can't even compare any affliction in my life compared to the Apostle Paul, but he goes, it feels pretty light. How come he could feel that his affliction was light? This is why, and this is the perspective that we share, is because it's for a moment. I want you to say this in just a moment. I'm going to prepare you. My affliction is temporary. I'm going to say it again. My affliction is temporary. Count of three. It's your turn. One, two, three. My affliction is Don't you feel better? Don't you feel better? Your affliction is temporary. Maybe your affliction in this life happens to be your spouse. That is a real bummer. I am sorry for you. Pray for your spouse. Pray for them. But it is temporary. It is temporary. So stay faithful to the Lord. Stay faithful to your vows. And the Bible tells us that you will not be married to each other for all of eternity. That makes some of you really sad. And that makes... And others are rejoicing. You're like, that's what I needed tonight. I got my money's worth, you know. It's temporary. You're in a, you're in a terrible job. You've got the worst boss imaginable. You hate it. It's miserable. You're only there to pay the bills, but you're thankful 
It's putting food on the table. It's keeping the furnace going. Guess what? It's only temporary. Even if you work there for the rest of your life, it is only temporary. Maybe your physical body is hurting and you face chronic pain. That's got to be one of the most difficult things in life. No way do I want to make light of any of these things, but your physical pain in your body, it's only temporary. Someday you're going to wake up with a glorified body. And Paul, he's learning to see his life differently. He goes, it's only temporary. It's, I'm simply passing through. And he's focusing on the eternal over the temporal. The eternal over the temporal. And then what he does is he sees how that the affliction is working for him. Notice at the end of verse 17, he says, is working for us a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Affliction is resulting in eternal weight of glory. God in his love is saying, okay, church, I'm going to allow you to suffer so that your life will impact eternity, so that you can be used for my glory. I don't think when we get to heaven, we're ever going to look back and go, mm, man, that affliction wasn't worth it. We're going to go, wow, that's what God did through that affliction? That's how God encouraged believers? That's how God used this affliction to bring unbelievers unto himself. What's the condition of your heart tonight? Well, before we get there, there's one more verse in the chapter. Sorry, verse 18. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. This is the unseen over the seen. We have to allow our spiritual eyes to be what we see through over our physical eyes, where we're not focusing on what we see. If we focus on what we see, we will be discouraged. We will lose heart. But if we focus on what is unseen, then our heart will be encouraged. Jesus lived his life focused on eternity. And as he was focused on eternity, then he knew that his suffering was worth it. I'll be honest with you. This is hard to do. This is really hard to do. This is what I see. This is what I can physically see. These are all of the things that God tells me are true that are unseen, and I'm, tr I'm choosing to rely upon what is unseen. But I can tell you this. Difficulty and affliction causes me to look to what's unseen a whole lot more. That, that's God's method of getting me to focus on what is unseen. So what's the condition of your heart tonight? Let's be honest. What's the condition of my heart? If you have a physical heart condition, your checkups are really, really important. Keeps you alive. Maybe you've even had to make changes to have a healthy heart. Proverbs 4.23 says this, keep your heart with all diligence because out of it flows the issues of life. And oftentimes we think of that in areas of sin and that's absolutely true. But also we need to think of it in vitality, in vitality. Maybe my heart's just wore out. Maybe I'm burned out. Maybe I'm just tired. Maybe I, I just don't live life with heart anymore. Can't really remember the last time that I just stopped the car and told God how much I loved him. Stayed up an extra 15 minutes to be near to him. Really got excited in, in worship. My heart, I've lost heart somehow in my love relationship with the Lord. I'm not really engaging people with love. I've, I've lost heart. 
You're not going out and doing things crazy. You're not in rebellion to God, but somewhere along the line, you lost heart. How sad that would have been to come across the Apostle Paul if he would have lost heart. This man that you expected for him to be alive for Christ, in love with God, in love for others. And he was living a moral life, but he's just kind of like, oh, I'm kind of done. I'm kind of just hanging it up. I'm just going to kind of cruise it, cruise it through life. And if Satan can't get us to deny Christ, and he can't get us to live in full-on rebellion and immorality, guess what he would settle for? Oh, just to lose heart. Just going to put it on cruise control. Going to do the easy street. I'm not going to really engage. And this is what God wants to do tonight. He wants to take the truths that we just read, get those truths on our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit, and shock that heart. Bam! Back into rhythm. It starts beating again. Oh, I'm loved by God. I'm loved by God. God, I love you. God, I want to love, love people. This is a daily battle. There's some days we succeed. Some days we live life with heart. And there's other days where we live life in discouragement and despair. So let's pray these truths in. Father, through your Holy Spirit, would you examine our hearts? Would you show us the condition of our heart? God, and where we have lost heart, where we've been discouraged, where we've been in despair, would you bring encouragement? Maybe we're confused and we're perplexed. We have so many questions on the details of our lives. Maybe there's real physical fatigue and lack of sleep and chronic pain and disease. Maybe there's rejection, rejection in relationships. Maybe there's financial difficulties where it feels like we're drowning. Lord, you know. But we believe that the treasure is greater than all of those things. And would you take our hearts and would you shock them back into rhythm through your truth, through your love. In Jesus' name, amen.